Okay, good evening. One out of three isn't bad. Two out of three isn't bad. We are here learning Abeinu Bachya's Pirushim. So we begin Sefer Shmais, Parsha Shmais. The, um, the, I, I want to mention one thing here that Rabbeinu Bachya notes. He has a rather leng- lengthy, uh, lengthy discussion. Many, m- much of Rabbeinu Bachya's commentary in general, but especially, notably in this week's parsha, is uh, you know incorporating many uh, pieces and elements about of the midrashim of the story as the story unfolds. And um, here in Hava Nishakmalei in Perak Aleph Pasuk Yud where it describes the scheming of Paray with the Mitzrim in order to be able to somehow overcome uh, uh, overcome the Bnei Yisrael, overcome the Jewish people. So the, the Rabbeinu Bachi writes as follows. Paray's intention with all of these schemes and plans to make them work hard, etc., was to weaken the Jewish people so we wouldn't grow and multiply. He figured that this toil, this hard work, would weaken the Jewish people and make them less potent to be able to grow, to be able to multiply in numbers. But when he saw that that didn't do the trick, that the affliction wasn't reducing them in numbers. As it says, as they afflicted them, we actually became more, they became more, and they became, uh, they, they grew. That's when he said, okay, so then we have to kill them. We're not reducing their growth, so instead we have to eliminate their growth. You have to understand, says Rabbeinu Bachia, if Pare would have made a gzera of extermination of the Jewish people. He would have been able to. And here, this, this piece is found in the Ramban. It would be considered a great betrayal that a king should go and kill people who came to take refuge in his land, refugees to Mitzrayim. And this would be a shame to the king amongst the nations, therefore he didn't want to do it. So that was the hishakmus of Pare, to try first to limit them, limit their growth, and then to do this thing with the Mialdes, which was meant to be done surreptitiously, in a way where people wouldn't see. Who would see? Would the, would the mothers even know? They would think that something went wrong in, uh, in, in childbirth. And so... He goes on to speak about this, that the Nishak Malay was to try to find ways that would not, would not gain them some kind of sanction or, or, or condemnation from people for having done this because it was too subtle for people to notice. And he made their lives bitter. So Rabbeinu Bachya says here something nice. Beautiful, not lefipshutai shel mikra, at all. Two levels. Hanefesh hamedaberes, shi chaye haguf. He says 
when it says, and they embittered chayeim, the way you read it, the way I read it, is that their lives were made bitter. Their lives were made bitter. Writes Rabbeinu Bachia, no. It's the nefesh hamadaberes. What he was memarer was the nefesh hamadaberes, the intelligence, the intelligence part of the person. The, the, the chayehem of the Jewish people were made bitter because he had us involved in chayber and levenim and chol basada, that, that thriving higher soul, that thriving, thriving intelligent soul was not accessible. Number one, gam It's also possible. You know what they did? By Yemoros Chayeim, they made bitter the life force of the Jewish people. Who's that? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem Himself. They made Hashem bitter. That's why it doesn't say, and they made bitter their nefesh. Because it wasn't their nefesh. It was HaKadosh Baruch Hu who's behind the nefesh. Ah, what do you mean they made HaKadosh Baruch Hu's life bitter? How could the mitzvah make HaKadosh Baruch Hu's life bitter? Says Rabbeinu Bachia. Absolutely. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says the Jewish people are my slaves. If you try to enslave them, it's as if you are enslaving me. By enslaving Kal Yisrael, it's as if you're enslaving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It says in, in different psukim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu suffers along with the Jewish people. So Rabbeinu Bachia knows what the simple meaning of the Pasuk is. And that is that the lives of the Jewish people became bitter. But he's being medayik from the choice of words. And he says it either means their higher life force that became you know, traded in for something much lower, or that you have to understand that this bitterness came not only upon the Jewish people, but it came upon the Rabbanu Shlalom who empathizes and is with the Jewish people. And we know that, of course, especially when it comes to Golos Mitzrayim, because not only did Yaakov say in the beginning, or did Hashem say in the beginning to Yaakov, I will go down with you to Mitzrayim, but we also know that when the Jewish people stood at Matan Torah, what did we see? The Levin HaSasapir. excellent. Maish Rabbeinu saw, and the people who went up there saw that the Rabbeinu Shalom was there, and beneath his feet was Levin HaSasapir, Kimase Levin HaSasapir, something which looked like a formation of the sapphire brick. And Chazal say that was what was in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu at the time of the Shibud Mitzrayim, the bricks of the Jewish people. It was reminding HaKadosh Baruch Hu of our suffering. Ayimaru es chayehem. Chayehem referring to the Rabbeinu Shalayla. So the Pasuk goes on and he says that he made exera when the midwives would give birth to help people to give birth to children. If it's a son, you should kill it. And the Pasuk says, the Mialdais were God-fearing, and they didn't do like the king of Mitzrayim had instructed them. They helped the children come to life. And it was, Right? When it says, excuse me, and it was, when the Mialdais were so God-fearing, and they refused to do what the king of Mitzrayim had instructed them to do. So the Pasuk says, Vayas lohem batim. He made for them, he made for them 
Vatim, he made for them houses. So who's Vayaslahem Vatim? Who made for them houses? So we all know, we grow up with the Rashi's Pshat. What's Rashi's Pshat? Bote, Kahuna, Levia, which were made for them by Hashem. When they feared God, Hashem made for them. Hashem made for them that. And he promised them dynasties that would come from them. Malchus and Kahuna from from Yecheved, from from uh, from from uh, from Yecheved, from Aishabeinu Miriam would produce uh, produce produce Malchus. This one be so. so the, those were the, the the batim that they were given. However, Rabbeinu Bachio offers a very different reading of the pasuk because, of course, Vaislehem batim is that they had dynasties coming from them. It's not a simple reading of the pasuk. We don't know who these people are. You know what is what does it mean? So Rabbeinu Bachio actually says that the simple shot is. that the king of Mitzrayim made for them the bat. And the idea was that, uh, the way he says it, is that the Melech Mitzrayim had given them instructions, and then it says that they, um, they didn't listen to him. They feared God more than they feared the king. So Vayaslam batim. So the king made for them batim, meaning... Says Rashi, he put Egyptian houses interspersed between the Jewish houses, and that way they would not be able to somehow hide the children, hide what was going on. And he brings other instances where we find a similar thing that the person, the the subject of the sentence, the vayas, who did it, that is not always so uh, so perfectly clear. And in this case, he suggests that's what they would have done. They would have made it, put their batim in between so that, uh, that they wouldn't be um, able to do things surreptitiously. He brings as well an opinion, and this is the opinion of Rabbeinu Hananel, I believe. Vayaslam batim is bote kiloim. He locked the mouse up in houses. He made for them houses. He made for them cells, jail cells. They were closed up in there forever. Okay, so that's his, you know, creative pshat in Vayas Lehem Batim to some, uh, to some degree. When Moshe Rabbeinu was born, the Pasuk says, She saw that he was good, and she hid him for three months. Tell me something, if Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't good, she wouldn't have hid him? Hid him. You know, this was her baby. Ask Rabbeinu Bachya. The Pasuk is saying he was beautiful, pleasant. Even if he was ugly. Isn't it a maternal instinct that would save him? It has nothing to do with the fact that he's Taiv. Why does the Pasuk have to say, Says Rabbeinu Bachya, that's the basis for all the Midrashim. All the Midrashim that say, oh, Kitaivu, you know what that means. It means that he was born with a bris mila. It means that when he was born, the house was filled with light. All those Pshatim and Rashi, the, the diuk, the derivation, the point from which it comes is because they did not uh, have to explain why they, 
why they she hid the, she hid the baby. That's why she hid him. Kitaivu must be saying something else. It must be adding something else. And so there must be some kind of transcendent goodness that was present in this child, whether again it is that he was Nailad Mol or whether it filled the house with light, as it says, Bayar Elakimas Ar Kitaiv. He goes on to bring that when the Pasuk says Kitaiv Hu, the who, the significance of the word who is who is also a name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And what it says is that, you know, what he, what he notes is in his comments is that, you know, when the, the, um, the, the daughter of Parai went and found her, so the Pasuk says, And she opened it up and she saw him, the child. And everyone would be bothered. Why vatire esayelet? Vatire esayelet. Not. And she saw him, the child. She saw the child. Says Rashi. Rashi brings what Chazal say. The medrash is, and it's a Gemara Saita, that she saw him with a capital H, esayelet with the child. She saw the shechina. So Rabbeinu Bachya says, "Tell me something." Bas pare goes and opens up and sees with Moshe Rabbeinu the Shechina. You think they didn't see the Shechina with Moshe Rabbeinu in the house of Yecheved and Amram? Of course they did. So that's the idea. Uh, that's the idea of the Kitaivu, that the Shechina's there. The who, implying that the Shechina's there. They saw that there was something completely, completely unusual. Isn't it amazing that yeah, 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 so that's his Kalvachomer, if Basparo was able to sew with this. Now, Basparo is not Stam. Her name is Basya, very, very significant name, daughter of God. She is Zeichet to name Moshe Rabbeinu, a name that will stick with Moshe Rabbeinu. She's Zeichet to be the one to take him and to tend to him, and Chazal understood clearly that this Basparo was was uh, was something something special. Um, it, it's worth noting as well, just in the terms of uh, what we might call Maisa of a similar banim, and I, I'm not quoting this from Avinu Bachya. I just want to give it to you as a thought. When you have this and you ask the question of how could Basparay have seen, she was something. Uh, she was something special in um, in the Torah. We have in Parshas Lechacha the story of Hagar. And in the story of Hagar, it says she had a Shifcha Mitzvah, Sushma Hagar. What's a Shifcha Mitzvah? What's the Shifcha Mitzvah that he had that, her, that he had that her name was Hagar? It says Rashi, Bas Parai Haisa. Hagar was Bas Parai. Shara Nisim Shinasa Lusara Amar Mutash Tebiti Shifcha Vaisevali Virvaisacher. When Parai saw the miracles which had happened to Sarah, he said, I'm going to send my daughter there. I don't want the revenge from here. I don't want his people here. But you know something for my daughter? Better she should be a maidservant in that house than a princess someplace else. So the first experience we have with Abbas Parai is Hagar. And she was sent to Avram because of a hispilus, because of an amazement which they had from Avram Vinu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who was with him. This is our next Baspari. This is not the first Baspari. This is our next Baspari. And this next Baspari, also, in a certain sense, there's some awakening there, just like the first Baspari. 
that that you know that was Hagar. There was some awakening there. Don't some people say she went down to a uh, to, to be Madaya? Right, the Gemara says the, the Gemara says that she went Lirchaitz Aliyar. She went Lirchaitz Migilule Beisavia to 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 shake herself of the Avodazar. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Now, Rabbeinu Bachya also quotes something, which is Be'emesa Gemara. It's just a, it's a delicious Gemara, and people don't always remember it. So I'll mention it, because again, it's one of those Chazal Rabbeinu Bachya brings. So when was Moshe Rabbeinu born? 7th of Adar. 7th of Adar. So where, what would be the date three months later? 6th of Sivan. The 6th of Sivan, the Gemara says in Saita. And what's the 6th of Sivan? The day of Matan Taira. It was on the 6th of Sivan that Moshe Rabbeinu had to be put, Shloisha Yerachim had to be put into the river. It was on the 6th of Sivan that he was pulled out of the river. The day when Moshe Rabbeinu would give the Torah to the Jewish people years later, right, 80 years later, that was the date that he was originally put, pulled out of the yard. Now the Gemara and Saita brings a couple of different Chazalim as to exactly when it was. And they say the person who split the sea for the Jewish people, you know, you know, you're going to let him drown here. The person who was going to give the Torah and Harsina for the Jewish people, you're going to let him drown here, and that was what made that he was saved. It's a remarkable thing when you think about it. The significance of this date. My Shavenu stood at Harsina forty years earlier. Where was he? Well, not necessarily forty years. According to sorry, eighty years earlier. Where was he? On that day of Harsinai, his future was being determined. His future was being determined. Uh, I want to share with you another Rabbeinu Bachya here, and it's we'll call it for our purposes the twin brother of the Rabbeinu Bachya that we had before when it said that they embittered their Chayim. Who's Chayim? So we, we, we learned there that was referring to the Rabbeinu Shalayla. And his sister stood from a distance. Who's his sister? Pashup Shad is that it's Miriam. However, a chayse that's referred to here is the shechina itself. When the tzaddik is in anguish, the shechina appears to save him. And that's the idea of is that the shechina, which is called it stood at a distance to watch out, to be able to protect the Jewish people, to be ready to protect the Jewish people. Let's see what happens. That's that's the role of the Shechina, to stand and to worry, and to worry about Achaisi, to worry to worry about his brother, to worry about about Klal Yisrael, in this uh, in this context. Ish Mitzri Hitzilanu Miad Harayim. An Egyptian man saved us from the hands of the Rayim, from the shepherds. So again, what I'm sharing with you is a Medrash. It's a Medrash in the Medrash Rabbah. 
So you would say, why are you sharing with me? Rabbeinu Bachir just quotes a medrash. Because Rabbeinu Bachir quotes it on the Pasuk. And it's a beautiful medrash, which isn't so known. What Ishmitzri saved them from the hand of the shepherds? Simple shot is, of course, it's referring to Maish Rabbeinu. And you read it and you sort of like, it's cringeworthy. Maish Rabbeinu is called an Ishmitzri? Ouch. Says Rabbeinu Bachir, brings the medrash. It already said Ishmitzri in our parsha. What did, what did it say? There was an Ish Ivri, right? An Ish Mitzri was Makish Ivri Me'echav. And Moshe Rabbeinu went and he killed the Ish Mitzri. And because Moshe Rabbeinu went and killed the Ish Mitzri, what had to happen? He had to flee, he had to go on the run. And where did he end up? In Midian. And in Midian, what did he get to do? He got to save the damsels in distress, right? The daughters of Yisrael. How did he get there again? Because of the Ish Mitzri that, that, that had been killed. Ish Mitzri Hitzilonu That Egyptian taskmaster, that Egyptian fellow who was beating up the Jew, he saved us. Why? Because Moshe is only here because of him, because of the reaction to him. Ish Mitzri Hitzilonu Isn't that a, isn't that a Gavaldic? It's, that's the last time he said Ish Mitzri. <laughs> What's going on? He connected the dots. If not for that story of Ish Mitzri, Maish Rabbeinu wouldn't have been there to react. And if he wouldn't have been there to react, he wouldn't be here now. Ish Mitzri, it's Isn't that a nice matters? The world is complicated. Links of, of, of events. Okay. So... It says that on those many days the king of Mitzrayim died and the Jewish people cried out to Hashem from the Avoida, right? Even though the king of Mitzrayim died, one of the Pshatim and Chazal, Pshat which Rabbeinu Bachya says, they cried out because they were worried it's going to get worse. It'll get worse before it gets better. And their cries went up to Hashem in Avoida. Ki afal Why does it speak about their prayers going up to Shammai? Says Rabbeinu Bachir, even though the time to take us out had arrived, we still weren't worthy of it. It was because of their excessive cries to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he accepted their tefillahs. And twice it says, They groaned because of the work. And their cries went up to Hashem because of the Avaid, because of the work. Why does it say that twice? The best filos are the ones which are said with the greatest sense of desperation and urgency. Says Rabbeinu Bachya. And that's why he keeps saying the cries were not from the intensity of their slavery. Continues the Rabbeinu Bachya. It is possible. This parsha can still be a masa of a similar bonim. Even though the Ramban sort of started to close up shop a little bit on Maisav Asimilabonim at the end of Sefer Bereshis. But he says, in truth, you can say that what happened here in Gulas Mitzrayim was a harbinger of things that would come. 
because our Geula today is dependent on the Jewish people doing tshuva and asking Hashem for it. And so it was, apparently, by Gulas Mitzrayim. We cried out to Hashem. We tried to mention our, mend our ways. And their tfilos were heard immediately. Such that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what comes next. That's what comes next. And uh, so, so that's it. So what is Rabbeinu Bachi again teaching over here? He's teaching about the intensity of tefillah being so great because the, the need was so great. And that the Parsha is telling it this, uh, us this way because it's saying that Lamaisa, the Gula of Mitzrayim, came only because people cried out to HaKadosh Baruch And that's like our Gula, which will only come with Tshuva and tefillah. I've told you, I've told many of you before that uh, there's this <coughs> famous story Chafetz Chaim, very near the end of his life, was once sitting Shal Shudas with some Bachram from Radin from the Yeshiva, which was always the case, that's the way he, he did it. And he became very agitated. And he wanted to have a, a wagon ready to take him right away, Matzah Shabbos, Trav Chaim, to talk about something. In the end, he didn't go. Some His family said they would do it on his behalf. But why did he want to go? Why was he in such a rush? They were learning Shmais, this stuff. And in Shmais, what you see is that the Gula of Mitzrayim came, as Ramban says, as Rabbeinu Bachi here quotes, because the Jewish people cried out to HaKadosh Baruch. So the Chavetz Chaim wanted to call upon the Jewish people to cry out to HaKadosh Baruch in a level, on a level that they hadn't previously. And he wanted to go to Rav Chaim Meiser to get his cooperation that they would somehow say, everyone has to daven. We're not going to get the gula unless you daven your hearts out for the gula. Because that's what happened here in Mitzrayim. We cried out to Hashem and that's how we got the gula. Now, in Mitzrayim, we had all kinds of tzoros. And he just finished speaking about how, the, you know, the greater the tzoros, the more intense the tefillahs. That's why sometimes we have a hard time davening for gula. Sometimes... You know, we feel like we don't have enough to goad us to do so. Okay. And Hashem saw the Jewish people and Hashem knew. <coughs> what does that mean? Says Rabbeinu Bachia, the Egyptians were busy. They were conniving, horrible people who were trying to just bring all kinds of difficulties on the Jewish people. Sometimes, obviously, and sometimes negatively. Hashem saw the difficulties that they were creating. But Hashem knew even the things that weren't so visible. Hashem saw and knew everything that was being done against the, against the Jewish people. And it was the knowledge of that which was being done against the Jewish people that motivated HaKadosh Baruch Hu to come and to save us. In Paragimel, he saw the real intent behind what they were doing. No, he saw the. Sometimes a person is made to suffer visibly, and sometimes not visibly. He saw everything that they were doing, both the stuff that was visible and not. Okay, Paragimel Pasakalif. Moshe Rabbeinu was shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law Yisrael. So there are many sections to this piece from Rabbeinu Bachia. Section number one. 
Achaz Moshe Rabbeinu Humnes Hazekiminak Hatzadikim Harishayin. Moshe Rabbeinu decided to be a shepherd. Why? Because the early righteous ones were shepherds. Hevel was a shepherd. Gam Avis Ha'elam, Gam Bishvatim, the Avis, the Shvatim. Shepherding was a good, conducive career, it seemed. Vihatam, Ideshi Yisrachek Mina Yishuv, Shu Olul Eitzel Hachet. The reason why he um, and all of these tzaddikim seemed to choose shepherding as opposed to other kinds of work, it was because they, uh, the, the shepherd travels far away. They have to find grazing land. They're away from an industrialized or developed area. And being alone helps a person be contemplative. If they're not, if they're busy, if they're always encountering people, when are they supposed to have chance to sing, to think? So therefore, for the purposes of staying away from cities which have environments of sin, and staying away from cities which don't, which um, which don't, uh, which aren't conducive, which isn't conducive, just in general to the spidedus of nevua, that's why the great ones were all shepherds. That's the first thing which he says. Then Rabbeinu Bachya says, after saying again another thing that they wanted to avoid Gezel, that's why he went deep into the desert. He didn't want to take anything that belonged to anybody. So, you know, the Pasuk never tells us how long Moshe Rabbeinu was in Midian, when he went. We know when he left. He went to Mitzrayim. He was 80 years old, but we don't know when he went. So he brings a beautiful Chazal that says that Avram Avinu lived in Mitzrayim for 40 years. He lived in Midian for 40 years. And then he lived with the Jewish people in the Midbar for 40 years. V'chein dorsh rabbi seinu zal al rabbi Akiva sh'yom avmei v'esim shonik meish rabbeinu. Rabbi Akiva also lived 120 years, just like meish rabbeinu. And it says, Arboim shona, Arboim shona osak b'parkmatia. For 40 years he engaged in parkmatia, in business. Arboim shona lomad, 40 years he learned. And Arboim shona limed, 40 years he taught. So there's sort of this segmenting of stages of life, 40 years, 40 years, and 40 years, um, that was found by these people, by Maish Rabbeinu, by Rabbi Akiva. He's going to bring other names. And that's what he suggests is the age span for Maish Rabbeinu here. <clears throat> in a sense, we could say, you know, that the first 40 years he was establishing himself somewhat in Mitzrayim. In Midian, he spent 40 years learning, that's why he was a shepherd, going to these isolated places where he'd be able to learn and be misbodeh. And then the last 40 years, he's the ultimate teacher. He's Tairet Sivalanu Maisha. Again, so that's the parallel that you would have to this story. Uh, that's, that's the parallel that you would have between, between Rav Yakiva and Maisha Rabbeinu. So Maisha Rabbeinu comes to the burning bush. And he says, I want to go and see this. This is an amazing thing. What's going on? Is this a different kind of wood? Is this a different kind of fire? Right, At this point, he had no idea that this was a divine fire in the snap. It was just some kind of a freakish thing. If he knew it was a divine, fi- divine fire, he wouldn't have gone up to look at it. We're going to find that what Maish Rabbeinu is going to do, as soon as Hashem is revealed to him, what's he going to do? He's going to... He's going to take take off his shoes. It's 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 um, it's 
intimidating. He turns away, as you said, right? He turns his face away. So for Moshe Rabbeinu to be going towards it, he wouldn't be going towards it if he realized fully what it was. And Rabbeinu Bachir describes a staging. First, Moshe Rabbeinu sees a fire. Then it says that, It says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu appeared to him, in the flame of the fire, from the call. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, I want to see it. So, so um, Rabbeinu Bachya says, first he just saw a fire. Then he became cognizant that it was the Malach Hashem appearing to him, and finally HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself appears to him. It's an interesting thing, because it's not exactly the, segment, the sequence of the Pasuk. But what he says basically, the basic idea which he says here is, that just like a person who goes from a dark building out into the sunlight, he, he, he's blind, he can't see. He has to go more gradually to see a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. He says it is the same way with the Nevi'im. HaKadosh Baruch Hu appears to them first in a way which is very dim. They can't even tell that it's the Rabbanu Shalom. Then they graduate to something brighter where you can tell that it's the Rabbanu Shalom. And then it's appearance of the Rabbanu Shalom himself, which is a, a whole different story. At that point, a whole different league. And that's the different steps which they, uh, which, uh, which they have here. And writes Rabbeinu Bachya, that is the way for a person to grow. To grow a little bit at a time. To not have the whole thing flood his mind and his experiences immediately. We find this by Klal Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch wanted to be mechanachas by giving us the Torah a little bit at a time. First he gave us the mitzvahs of Mora in Rabbeinu Bachya's Sefer, the Chavis Halvadis, he writes, you know, first, you know, Maish Rabbeinu had his mitzvah and there were other mitzvahs. The more mitzvahs you're seeing, the more dasalekim, knowledge of God you're gaining. And, you know, the more that that's happening, you know, step by step, you're growing towards the extent of revelation which a person's going to be able to experience. So he says, Hashem gave us mitzvahs in Mara. He gave us uh, mitzvahs of the Aseris Hadibrois. And eventually he gave us Kol HaTerakula that Maishra Avenu gave over, certainly Ba Arvais Moyev. And he says, that's the way we have to see it. And this is a chinuch lesson, he says, for all time. That you are starting to be mechanech, you're starting to open up the seichel, starting to open up the possibility of encounter, bit by bit by bit. In Rabbeinu Bachya, we find an allusion to something. I shared with, uh, you know, in a different context, of a different shear, the other night. And that is, he writes an allusion to it, that the idea of the simon of the sneh, of the fire in the thorn bush, but not consuming it. So he says, it is, It's a hint to the material physicality that has burning in it the Eishra Yainus, the upper fire. The divine fire, the, the, the meeting of the two, the meeting of the physical being of the person with the divine spirit, that's like the sneh and 
the fire of the snare. That's the kind of mixture it is. And um, you know, we've explained in the past, it's not absolutely clear in, in, in Rabbeinu Bachya, but what we've explained in the past is this is the first appearance at Har Chayv, at Har Sinai. And at Har Sinai, the Jewish people are going to have the same questions. How could a human being encounter the fire of the divine? It literally uses the Pasuk. Speaking of us from the fire, as we just experienced Vayechi. So they were surprised that the fire didn't consume them. But that was the Chiddush of Harsinai. That we had such an intense opportunity with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it didn't destroy us. That's the Sneh Barboesh Basneh Einenu Ukor. So finally, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, take off your shoes from upon your feet, because the land that you are standing on is Admas Kodesh. Writes Rabbeinu Bachya. The shoes are remis to physicality. Moshe Rabbeinu is coming to encounter Nevoah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, take off your shoes, meaning step out, of your physical confines, and then I'm going to be able to speak to you. And Rabbeinu Bachi has an amazing diuk, and the diuk is as follows. Over here it says, Shal na'alecha, na'alecha with a yud, before the chaf. What does that mean? Please remove your shoes. By Yeshua, we also find that he encounters the malach. And what's he told? Shal na'olcha, take off your shoe. Just says it in the singular. It says Rabbeinu Bachye, if you understand that the removal of the shoe is not literally meaning taking off your shoes, Dr. Scholes, right? But rather, what is it? It's step out of your physicality. You're coming to encounter HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You have to be the spiritual part of yourself in order to be able to have that encounter well. And that's what he was saying to him, Shalna Allah Mi Al-Raglacha. Says Rabbeinu Bachya. Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy was so much stronger. He radiated like the sun. He was so much more original and stronger prophet than Yeshua was. By Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, remove your shoes. Because Moshe Rabbeinu stepped out so totally of physicality. By Yeshua, he had an occasional communication from Akadosh Baruch. For him, it's shal I can't expect you to completely remove yourself from physicality like Moshe Rabbeinu did in his dramatic way, but I need you to lift yourself up as well. Shal na'olcha versus shal na'olcha. I'll end with a remez of Rabbeinu Bachya. Wild. And amazing. And he says, What's shal na lechem yaragrecha? What's the word shal? It's not such a normal word. It's not an impossible word. Ki means that the olives will fall off of the olive tree. Shal would be an act of removal. He says, Shal is also a girsa, and that is shechaira levana. Black and white. I know everything is not black and white, but what, is this, uh, what does this mean? So he says, 
that the 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 Shechina has on the one hand Amidas Hadin, which is a Shechira, and it has on the other hand an Eshlavana, a white fire, which is Midas Harachamim. And um, here it was Harsinai. This was happening at Harsinai. And Harsinai was going to have, eventually it was going to be the place where the Torah was given to the Jewish people. And the Torah is Eish Shechira al Gabi Eish Levada. That's Shal Me'olecha Me'olecha. That combination of the fiery and black and white and the Din and Rachvim, the different poles that have to be resolved that's shal shachira levana, and I, I will, will we know will end. But again, we just have to understand. And this was a large part of what I discussed with the people on Monday night, is that here we are. We're in the parsha of Moshe Rabbeinu being given the mission to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. But was the parsha consistently come back to? Not Yitzias Mitzrayim, not entirely. The mission is given to him at Har Sinai. When you take the Jewish people of Mitzrayim, they're going to worship Hashem on this mountain. The, 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 the articulate of Geula is because we're going to ultimately accept the Torah. So, Shalna Alecha, Me'al Raglecha, everything, it all goes to the Torah, goes back to the Torah. Shalna Alecha, the Yishchayra, the Yishlavana, right? That's the, you know, you know that's, what's, that's what's being sought here. Because that's the central part, more than anything else, of the narrative of Kal Yisrael, is... Matan being given it, accepting it, and living with it. Okay. Okay.